and they are some of the the calmest. They're like a puppy dog, you know. They're the calmest animals because those people in those destination countries really take care of their animals. You know, they're they're not out on big stations without human contact. They're being hand fed multiple times a day. G'day and welcome to episode 39 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Today I'm excited to be sitting down with Ollie Thorne, a young ag student who's also taken to the high seas. In 2020, he spent about nine months traveling the world on live export boats. And what I found fascinating about sitting down with Ol was not only his approach of how he managed to fit in study, taking remote learning to a whole new level, but also just how he talks about and makes the animal welfare side of the industry really relatable. I suppose what I found, and maybe it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me during this episode, was that yes, there is live animals on these export boats, but at the end of the day, it's in the best interests of the people on these boats to keep those animals calm, fed, and make sure that they're happy and healthy. Because at the end of the day, and I can't imagine myself doing it, I know how stressed I can get when something's not going right for myself, but I can't imagine what would happen if on one of these boats, you've got a couple of thousand head of animals that were stressed as well. I think Ollie's calm nature and just how he talks so candidly about his experience, but also when he starts to talk about the soul searching that he did, far away from mates, far away from his family, while a global pandemic was wreaking havoc on the world. I hope at the start of, or what will be the start of this series looking at live export, you guys reach out and ask questions. It's, a, it's an area which we often don't talk about as an industry, but I think is a, an amazing opportunity for all, everyone to get involved, ask questions. What do you want me to ask? What do you want me to talk about? What should we be putting on the table? We've done a few things on Instagram already at humans of agriculture with an underscore, but we'd love more from you. I hope you guys enjoy this chat and please rate, review, subscribe and get in touch with any questions. Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Ollie. Thanks, Ollie. It's good to be here. Thanks for um, taking me on and giving the people that are directly involved the chance to tell everyone the truth. Mate, um, now you're just about to jump back on to your first boat for 2021, but you managed to make these livestock boats a bit of a home last year during COVID. What was that like? Yeah, it was definitely a, an interesting experience. Um, and one that I wasn't pre- prepared for. Uh, I jumped on a boat at the beginning of March, uh, I think not long after Australia had shut their borders to China. So at that time, the thought of doing any sort of quarantine or even not being able to fly home was definitely not a reality. Um, but by the time I got to Vietnam, um, things had escalated over the space of sort of two weeks. Um, and from there, I spent... Uh, about five months on on that boat and then I took a couple of weeks off and went and spent another four months uh, at sea so um, it's definitely hard on the on the mind but it was good for a bit of soul searching and um, definitely gave me a good experience life experience going forward yeah absolutely oh, just like winding back the clock so how long was it your first time on boats last year and I suppose what actually brought you to, to become interested in the live export trade and jump on board? Yeah, so I, I was never involved with it at all. Um, after I finished school, I spent a year in the Territory uh, on a place called Beetaloo Station. 
And then I went to university down in New South Wales, studying a Bachelor of Business in, in Agriculture. Um, between my first and second year of uni, I worked for a contract master up in the Territory again, around Catherine. And that's where I met Tick Everett, who's now the operations manager for Frontier International, who are a northern-based exporter. Um, and just through Tick, uh, I saw the passion that he had for what he was doing, and I thought it was something something different maybe I could do over my uni holidays. Um, and I ended up putting uni into online mode and, and left after two years of, um, of on-campus study. And so, yeah, it was probably the year before last, it was, would have been November when I started. And since then, I've been more or less flat out um, studying online and, and uh, on the boats sort of back to back. It certainly takes the remote learning to a whole new level. Don't, is there anyone else at uni that you know of who's doing it from the high seas? No, not that I know of. It's um, It definitely has been more difficult with COVID because rather than, than getting off a boat at, at the country that we're delivering our, our cattle to um, and being in hotels and always having access to sort of unlimited Wi-Fi, um, now when we finish discharging our cattle, we catch the boat home. So um, it's quite difficult to study when you don't have the internet and you're out on the South China Sea. Um, but again, it's it's something, it's a, it's a good experience when you've really got no other option but to, you know, put your head down and deal with the noises in your head. And sometimes opening a book up and doing a bit of study is the best medicine for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um- I'm interested, so you, you managed to have a look around some of these international markets before everything changed with COVID, but what was it like, I suppose just, yeah, from from your own understanding, like walking into whether it's Indonesia or Vietnam and looking at in these destination countries, like what it's like in terms of their wet markets and, and where the animals, I suppose, are, are kept in, in feedlots before going into the slaughter and, and then distribution over there. Yeah, well, I think, Ollie, I think that's probably the the biggest gap now with the public's perception of, of live export. People are probably starting to understand that what happens on the boats and prior to, to when the animals are shipped, people are probably understanding now that um, it is a good environment for the cattle and that we're all uh, working to make it, you know, minimising and, and eliminating stress. And I think we do a very good job of that. But I think there's still a gap in... Um, perception between perception and reality as to what's going on over there. Um, I've seen some of the wildest cattle come out of the territory and have a short voyage to say Jakarta and you see those animals in feedlot after a couple of days having been across the ocean what should be a stressful time um, and they are some of the, the calmest they're like a puppy dog you know they're the calmest animals because those people in those destination countries really take care of the animals. You know, they're, they're not out on big stations without human contact. They've been hand fed multiple times a day um, and they really care about their animals. And I think that's um, not shown in, in the media. I mean, there, there's things that have happened times, times ago in the past. Um, and I think media, mainstream media is probably hung on to very isolated events that happened a long time ago and push that as um, the norm when it's so far from the truth. 
Yeah, and I suppose that's something that I wanted to ask you off this. And, and like, I'd be the first person to say, like, my dog is what my best friend. When I was on farm, like, we absolutely took care of the animals, and I think the majority of people do. But um, from, like, your perspective, w- would you be involved in live export if it was a cruel industry? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And as I said to you, speaking earlier, Ollie, I think you would find that all of the people that are involved in, in live export now, particularly um, the stockies who do what I do, actually being with the cattle on the ocean, um, I think you'd find that most of them would be the biggest animal welfare activists of them all because a stressed or sick animal is good for no one. They don't help themselves. They don't help, you know, they don't perform or travel well. Uh, it's good for no one. So I think it's unfair on, on the animal to push them out of their comfort zone or stress them out. And that's all we're about is, is minimising and eliminating any stress or sickness um, because it's such a satisfying thing to see a beautiful Brahmin steer or bull or cow um, come onto a boat like that having not had close human contact ever in their life, coming off massive stations that are the size of Sydney um, in, in Queensland or the Territory or Western Australia. And they come onto those boats and within two days, they're eating out of your hand and you know asking for scratches. So that's why I'm still doing it. I didn't expect to be doing it as a full-time gig. Um, it was going to be more part-time for a bit of money. Um, but I just get such a kick out of seeing those beautiful animals um, take on that, their true nature, you know, when they see that we're just, look, we're just there to look after them um, and they reciprocate that love. Yeah, it's a massive trust thing, isn't it? Like, I'm just trying to think, oh, I was going to say, like, the relationship, is, say, between a person and a horse or a person and a dog, like, there is such a connection and that's kind of what it sounds like, yeah, how, how you're describing it. Absolutely. I I know personally and, and a lot of the people that I'm uh, that I work with on a regular basis, that's that's the biggest thing for us. If we see an animal in a pen um, that has a you know, maybe a slight deformity on their mouth that they were born with, um, just little things like that, we will we'll pull them out of a pen and um, and put them in their own pen with a bale of hay and just because it's it's satisfying to see all the animals that are that are on the boat um, happy and healthy. Um, and I think that there's just such a misconception that that's not what happens. Um, and that's probably changed the way I, I approach um, telling people what I do. I previously didn't tell people that I was so directly involved in live export because it's such a voodoo topic, even with friends of mine that are involved in agriculture. Um, but seeing how good it is for those animals on on those boats, I've shifted my my mindset and I now openly tell people and, and I'm proud of it. And so I'd want to jump into one thing which you ended up doing last year, but I'm just going to park it for a second. I just want to understand yeah. from, I suppose, my perspective. So the animals, you're going, you'll be loading them tomorrow and jumping on the boat from tomorrow night and heading over to Indonesia. But I suppose what do the weeks in the lead up look like for the animal and then yeah kind of the next week or so of the voyage and then once they get off as well can you just I suppose yeah 
for someone run through like it, yourself yeah. who has no idea. Just run me through it. Yeah, so like I said, um, most of these northern uh, northern shipments, so that's that's boats that are leaving from your Townsville or Darwin um, or Broome or Wyndham up in the northern parts of Australia. The cattle that are going on those boats are coming off um, properties or stations that are, as I said, the size of some of the size of Sydney. Um, they're big, big places. So as you can imagine, those animals have minimal human contact throughout their whole life. They might come in to a, a set of cattle yards once a year um, for vaccinations and to pull their, their calves off. But most of their life, they're, they're out in the wild. They're essentially wild animals. Um, so we pull them off those stations and into into big uh, export yards. And we there, they might be there for a couple of weeks or some, some even longer, but we teach them um, how to eat from a trough and drink from a trough um, when there's human movement around. And that's a, an adjustment that we always, they, they need to be eating from eating hay or pellet from those troughs um, before we deem them fit to, to get on a boat. Because if they're not going to be eating from a trough, the, the trip's going to be too stressful for them and they're not, they're not going to perform well. Um, so we, we put them into those yards and teach them, teach them how to act with humans around. Um, and sometimes we vaccinate them depending on, on where they are. To, to just to prevent any sickness, um, and then they're loaded up on on trucks, um, big triple road trains here in Darwin. So um, that's three big trailers, and you might have two hundred animals on a truck. Um, and we truck them into the port, and that's where I'll be tomorrow morning. Um, I'll be standing on the boat, and the, the trucks come up, um, and we open a gate on the side of the trucks, and they they run up a ramp and down lots of ramps down to the bottom of the boat and there's the boat is essentially a big feedlot there's um there's pens and we have stocking densities so all the animals have plenty of space to sit down stand up walk to the get get a drink you know just the simple things um we're not just jamming them jamming them on there um as tight as we can get them as many as we can get there's quite strict rules around how many animals you can have in a pen um, which is based off how heavy they are. So even if there's, if there's animals with horns on their heads, uh, that'll be allocated extra space just so they're not being, um, uh, so they're not being smothered by the other animals that are in the pen with them, you know, and that, that just reduces stress as well. Um, so once we finish loading them onto there, we'll, we'll set sail, we'll let go of the ropes and, um, the next morning, we just as a stockman, I'll I'll be on there, and there's a there's a crew of um, it varies boat to boat, but on the boat tomorrow, I'll have a crew of Filipinos um, who are great guys, and I'll walk around the cattle and and essentially just look for anything that's um, uncomfortable or sick or maybe a little bit tight. I just walk around all day doing that, and and the Filipino boys um, they feed pellets into like a hay pellet into the trough. Um, and then we give them some water too. So we give them a water trough and then in the pan, there's also automatic waters. Um, so it's, it's quite a good environment for those animals. Um, it takes a bit of an adjustment period to um, get them used to having 
those all the, the Filipino boys and myself walking around them all day. Um, but it's it's pretty quick adjustment, you know. By that the end of the first day, morning of the second day, they're they're sitting down when you're sort of half a meter away from them, and they're chewing their cud and happy as. Um, then when we get to to our destination port, which for me this time will be Jakarta in Indonesia, um, it's a similar similar process. Just takes a little bit longer with smaller trucks. Rather than 200 on a truck, we might have, um, you know, 10 on a truck, and we unload them. And it's it's a stress-free process because the receivers in in Jakarta, uh, wherever wherever we're taking those cattle, it's in their best interest for the cattle to be stress-free also. You know, um, so it's a pretty it's a pretty good process, Ollie, for those cattle. There's there's not really any point, um, even all the way up to slaughter. There's and and for slaughter, there's not actually a, a stressful um, point in that chain, which you know people probably probably don't understand, you know, just because of what is portrayed in the media. Yeah, I was going to ask on that. It sounds like you've got a hell of a responsibility on on yourself, and I suppose that that weight of expectation as well. Like how much pressure do you put on yourself? Or let's say if a few animals die, or or become sick on that uh, on that trip. How how much pressure do you put on yourself? And I suppose where where are your outlets to and people to speak to when? Uh, yeah, yeah, you need to. I think I think it's um, you know, I take and if I ever have a, an animal die on a voyage and it happens, um, just as it would happen in a paddock. Um, but if I if I ever have an animal, I lose an animal. I'd take it. Um, very personally and it's hard to it's hard to separate um you know your feelings for an animal and and just sort of put them to the side and and continue on with your job um but every day i get up and i'm i'm just doing everything that i can to make sure that there's no animal in any pain or discomfort and sometimes from time to time um that means for me putting my ego aside like i said and if there's an animal um, that's really sick or has uh, a foot injury, which is not common, but it can happen, um, sometimes it takes me euthanizing them. Um, you know, that animal might make it to the destination port and live for another two weeks before slaughter, um, but it's going to be an uncomfortable period for that animal. So I've always got to put the, the animal first, um, and then I guess it's, once it, once you've had that happen, you really just need to um, write down. I normally sit down in my room and write down if there's anything that I could have done differently um, or to prevent it. And most of the time there isn't. Um, but then it's just about moving on because, you know, you might be on a boat with 4,000 4, head of cattle. And if you lose one um, and spend a day thinking about that one animal, there's 3,999 others that, uh, aren't getting your full attention. So I guess that's how I look at it. Um, if I am to lose one, I'd need to um, move on to the others so that nothing happens to them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Makes complete sense. Now, I want yeah. to um, I want to jump back. So we started off talking about last year and the experiences of COVID on the high seas. But um, what would you say would be your biggest learning curve or, or biggest thing that you've taken with you from last year? Um, 
probably probably just what I touched on earlier, Ollie. Having having all that time to myself. Um, as I said, when we when we finished unloading the cattle, now rather than get off and fly home, we sit on the boat on the way home um, with no cattle, so essentially no responsibility on the way home. And if you're coming back from Vietnam, that might be um, ten days at sea with no internet um, and not much space to move. You might have 150 meters or 200 meters. Um, so having all that time to myself and really just learning, um, learning how to handle that time. It's essentially like being out in the desert by yourself. And, um, a lot of the time you're on, on a boat with a crew of complete different nationalities. You know, I, I go on there with just Filipinos and myself. So, um, it's taught me what it's like to be a, a minority. Um, which a lot of people experience every day, but that was a, a big learning curve, um, just handling the, the different culture for such a long period of time without a, an outlet just to, you know, have a beer with some mates at the pub. Um, but I think the biggest thing that came out of last year for me was of how proud I am of the industry. Um, we lost a boat um, with some really good boats. Oh, sorry, with, with some really good boys. Um, towards the end of last year, the golf last stock won. And it was during that period, I'd, I'd just actually got back on for my second stint and having all that time um, by myself with that happening while the search was ongoing for those boys um, and the lack of action from the, from the government particularly um, to assist that search was really disappointing. Um, and it was from that that I sort of, um, just decided that I was going to really stand up for the industry because every day I, I knew that I would get up every day and um, do absolutely everything for those animals to make sure that they were comfortable and I knew that they were and I know that everyone else in the industry is doing the same thing. Um, so if we're doing all that and we can't stand up at the end of the day and um, you know look for our boys and bring them home, it, it's a bit disappointing. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest thing to come out of that period, Ollie, was just that I should be proud of, of the industry that I work in um, and that we have nothing to hide. And that, that's probably how I, I shifted my mentality and, and got through those months, you know. Yeah, well, one thing I found really interesting with the – so when the golf livestock one went down, obviously, I, like, the, the agriculture sector is small enough that people were sharing it and trying to promote the need to get government support on that. But – what I found really fascinating was, like, I've got quite a number of friends in Sydney and there were people who have very little connection to agriculture. In fact, their only connection to ag would be through, I think it was a vet that was on board uh, on that ship. And there were countless people in my friend network that were sharing that. And that, that was one thing where I thought, like, yeah, taking a step back, like, at the end of the day, there yeah. is, there's people uh, and... yeah. Oh, that that care like people lost a friend out there and yeah i think uh, as you said ollie it it really humanized um and it's what your your whole project is but it really just humanized the industry um you know those boys all of those boys and and the the, the filipino guys that were on there um they were boys in the prime of their life that had so much to offer their respective societies, whether it was in the Philippines or New Zealand or Australia, those guys 
um, had so much to offer going forward in their lives. Um, and I think that's probably why it resonated so deeply with so many people, you know? Yeah. Did you ever second guess this whole live export being a stocky on a boat on the seas, particularly where you are going through some rough water? Do you second guess it and think it's like selfishly? No, absolutely not. I, I think, don't get me wrong, the, the, the Gulf Livestock one was an absolute freak accident. It was a freak storm. Um, the, the boats, the amount of boats on the ocean every year, every day, um, it, it was a freak accident. And I, I'm, I feel safe in the boats that we put on there, uh, on the ocean. The tested and up to, up to standard, um, every time they come into ports, you know, in Australia, they come into ports and um, the Australian Maritime Safety Authority are constantly uh, making sure maintenance is up to date. So it, it was a freak accident and even um, being on a boat at the time um, and going into sort of this, that similar storm that, that the Gulf Livestock One um, went down in, I was I was on a boat in, in that area not long after and it was, um, it was definitely a scary time, but I was never, um, I was never scared that the, the boat I was on was going to, you know, that the same thing would happen because they are such good vessels, all of them. You know, it was a freak accident, but I think it was more just um, the hardest part about it was seeing, seeing the lack of action. There was a few few government guys, like Bob Catter, that really stood up. Um, but the people that had the, the capability to really do something um, went very quiet. And, and that was definitely the hardest thing for me because... Uh, I knew that if I was out at sea, um, you know, in a life raft or hanging onto a piece of wood, that I would hope that my friends and that, that my government and that my industry would um, do everything in their power to come and look for me. And I think that was what was, um, I, I can imagine for the families, was so hard to swallow. But even um, just for us as stockies, uh, you, you know, we're getting on a boat. And, and we're seeing what's happening to, to other guys that have done the same thing, just trying to get cattle happy and healthy to their destination. Um, and, you know, for you, for you to then get on a boat, seeing what happens um, when that does happen, it, yeah, it was, that was probably what was so, so hard to stomach at the time, Ollie. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And so it was after that that you may, and this was the first time that I actually came across you too, Ollie, was your video that you did on Instagram, which was basically, I'd say, you taking a, a somewhat of a stand, but yeah. Yeah. What what spurred that on and where did that come from? Um, that that video was, um, I was talking to my mate Fee, who you um, actually had on, on your podcast, um, and it was at that time where there was still hope for those boys. Um, and... There was no no action, no talk happening from from anyone um, about some real action to, to to look for them. And I sort of went, like I said earlier, that you know this this industry can be and should be proud of of what we do. Um, like I said, we're we're essentially animal welfare activists, um, and that we're actually carrying out. Um, rather than just talking about it, we're, we're doing that day to day, making sure animals are happy and healthy, and um, 
uh, I just decided that I had nothing to hide. And that video, it it really doesn't that I that I did. It doesn't show much, and I didn't really say much. It was a minute long. Um, but the people that came that messaged me and um, responded to that video from all walks of life, like you said, people from down in Sydney and you know people I'd never even heard of um, that have nothing to do with with live export, let alone agriculture. Um, and it really resonated with them because it was something that they hadn't seen before, just just being real. Um, and even though I didn't say much, it was, um, you know, that was something that was not staged or planned. It was, we'd finished feeding one day and I got my phone out and I said, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to show people what, what's really happening on here because, you know, we need to be proud of this industry so, so that our government can see that we're proud of it and so that if something happens to us, you know, we know that our government will stand up and look after us. You know, we exported, I think, about 1.3 million head of cattle in 2019 and a similar number last year. And we're, we're making such a big contribution to both animal welfare and the Australian economy. Um, and these governments, the state governments and the, and the federal government, they want the... They want the trade, but they just don't. They don't want the responsibility that, that, that comes with it, and that's come on to quarantine too, Ollie. You know, um, I've come in on a boat to Wyndham in Western Australia, expecting to get off after three and a half months, and um, Western Australia changed their their border rules for for the boats at midnight, um, and we were anchored at the port that night. Um, but we didn't go into to alongside until the next morning, and because of that, I wasn't allowed to get off the boat um, after all that time, and I, I had to turn around and do another trip um, to Indonesia, and then I went back to to Townsville, and I had to do two weeks quarantine in Townsville, um, and just something like that where it's so so obvious that it's ridiculous what you know the implementation of the rules and the, the lack of um, wiggle room when it comes to that implementation and for me i'd been on on that boat after three and a half months and you know we'd had boys sink on that the golf livestock one so i wasn't uh in in the best headspace at the time um and i had all my bags packed and uh they said no you can't get off because you've only come in six hours after the, that rules come in um so i just think it's it's a shame that when we're when we're making such a good contribution to to our society that um, we're not being looked after accordingly, you know. Yeah, and there's one thing that I want to focus in on there, which you were talking about, which like for so so far I've shared whatever, so about 130 stories thereabouts. And, and the thing that stood out for me, and the thing that like when I whether it's a podcast or just like the the little photo stories that the point where it's like, yeah, this is all worthwhile is when I actually see someone share their own story and you start to see the positive feedback coming through. And like the positive comments far outweigh the negativity any day of the week. But I suppose, yeah, talking to, f- from your perspective, talking to people in... You don't know about and they come out and then, you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants the same thing. Everyone, everyone wants to feel happy and, and receive you know, positive reinforcement for whatever they're doing. But um, 
that makes such a difference when when you get it at a at a rough time. Um, and you know, there's so many so many stockies in the industry now. You know, even right as we speak, there would be countless stockies that are in in quarantine. Um, some in Australia and some stuck overseas trying to get a flight home, having delivered cattle um, over there. And and the the time spent alone in in that quarantine. Um, to have positive messages and phone calls coming in, it makes such a big difference, you know, because those guys then finish their quarantine and, and a lot of them turn around and get on another boat and do it again. And um, we need to be looking out for those guys because, you know, like I said, they're making pretty good contributions um, to our economy and, and our animals. Yeah, absolutely. And so on that note, I suppose, um, what is it that you see as like the exciting opportunities or where do you really want to make a difference in that, in the live export industry? Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything big, Ollie. I think it's every trip that I do. Um, and every day I get up when I'm, when I'm at sea and I'm making a difference there, you know, and if I can show people, um, you know, in agriculture and outside of agriculture, what I'm doing and how much I care about what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe I'll encourage other people to um, give it a crack. And the more people that uh, we can get involved in the industry, whether it's as a stockman or, um, you know, post COVID times over in market, over in overseas markets, or even just in Australia, the more people that we can get involved who, you know, are like-minded to myself or my mate Fee, you know, or, or the people I work with at Frontier, um, the better. Because people that care means that the animals are looked after. Um, and, you know, that's good for everybody, especially the animals. Yeah, absolutely. And so this year, I suppose, taking, we're taking a bit of a different tangent here. You're, yeah. What's next for you? You've got the live ex, uh, the, the boat going. You've got a bit of time on yeah. that. And then heading back to uni, is it? Yeah, so the um, the online study was obviously a little bit more difficult, as I mentioned, without that internet. Um, so I'll do this, we'll do about a month and a half um, on this boat and then I'll head back and do do a semester of uni full time just to try and catch up a little bit. Um, and I don't, see, I don't see this time I'm spending on the boat as uh, a waste of time or, um, you know, obviously it's going to take me longer to, to complete my degree, but... I'm getting so much out of it. I'm learning so much about um, about people, people management, animals, animal management, um, and you know whatever I end up doing, whether even if it was you know not in agriculture, um, doing what I'm doing now is is contributing so much to the person I'm going to be and and the career path that I choose. Um, so I just want to get a little bit of that uni um, kicked off, and then I'll, I'll get back into it. And, at the back end of the year, and hopefully by then, um, the vaccines come into effect to some degree, and and we can reduce, um, you know, time on on board on the way homes, whether it's with flights or uh, reduce quarantine, um, and I can get back into the the online study. That's the the plan at the moment, but we'll see. Yeah, lovely. Oh, hopefully everything works out for you, and. I've got a question that I normally, yeah, wrap the podcast up on, and that's 
if you're chatting to students in say year 10 or 11, I reckon those years are pretty important when it comes to starting to think about what the the bigger world looks like and the world beyond school. But whether, yeah, when it comes to agriculture, I suppose if you had the chance to speak to those students, what would be some of your advice to them about the opportunities in agriculture? I think uh, I think it's I'm, I'm quite a big ad- advocate for for the gap year idea um, because you come out of school um, you know with with a lot of people who are trying to help you in your ear um, and a lot of people rush in straight into that that uni um, and you know I'm I'm a, at uni myself and I think it's fantastic to to do the uni but I think having that that at least a year. Um, and in agriculture, I, you know, I couldn't recommend doing it in agriculture enough, whether it's up north or on a, on a property down south. Um, I think it matures you, even though you might not realise it at the time. Um, and you can make that decision, whether it's going into a trade or, or university, with a much clearer head. Um, but the opportunities in agriculture are absolutely endless. Um, I have no qualms whatsoever about um, what I will do when I'm when I finish my uni um, I know I won't I won't struggle getting a job and that's not anything to do with who I am but it's just the wealth of opportunity in agriculture so even for somebody in in Sydney or Melbourne or Adelaide who's never set foot on a property or a patch of grass to stick their nose into into something agriculture related um, at least for a year post-school, and I don't think that they would regret it one bit. Very sound advice. I reckon that, yeah, just the slowing down and don't rush everything can be stressed enough. Yeah, Ollie, thanks a lot for jumping on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I think one thing that I love about it is I get the chance to speak with people in completely different areas to the industry and particularly areas which I know, I suppose, very little about um, when it yeah. comes to the nitty-gritty. So good luck with everything in 2021, I hope. Yeah, safe sailing on the seas, and I can't wait to see what's ahead and, and keep following your journey. No, no worries, Ollie. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to um, tell everyone what, what we do and the real story. But, yeah, thank you, and talk to you later. Well, that's it from us for another week. Thanks a lot for tuning in to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. And I hope the episode with Ollie today, you guys learn a thing or two about the live export industry. I know I certainly have got a few things I need to go away and Google and research. But what I'd love to as we talk about live export over the next few weeks is for there actually to be a lot of engagement. And I'd love for you to ask questions. Nothing's off the table because... There's no such thing as a dumb question and I think the more we talk about these and have real conversations about what happens out there and also in the world around us is really important. I'd love it if you could rate, review, subscribe to the Humans of Ag podcast, share it with a friend, but I'd also love to know who you'd like to see on our podcast. That's it for me this week and I look forward to joining you all again next Wednesday. Stay safe, stay sane, look after yourselves, check in on a friend and I'll see you next week.